Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. So I get this distinct privilege of uh, doing part three of let's talk about mental health. And what we're trying to do here is we really want to destigmatize the conversation about mental health in the church. Because as PJ was speaking of, we are more than just a spirit, but we have a body and we also have a mind. So we're going to be continuing that today. So before I get started, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a Christian psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I've never even been to therapy. Never. Now, there's been times in my life in the past, looking back, where it probably would have benefited me greatly. But if you remember in the opening um, sermon, PJ talked about those people that are a little bit uh, longer in the teeth and, and have a little gray and how our perspective of you know, therapy is. And I'll be honest, up until uh, probably a few months ago, that was my perspective. Because I was born in the generation, it's like, you know what, suck it up, buttercup, push through, you know, do what you have to do. But there's a cost associated with that. And before we go on, I want to just put up a slide here. And this is showing someone trying to get out of a hole. And I went to a spiritual retreat a few weeks ago. Pastor John just got back from the same one uh, late last night. And this is one of the analogies that they gave. People like me from years ago, when they saw someone in a dark, deep pit of despair, depression, whatever it may be, we would go to the edge of the pit and be like, climb out of the pit. And then nothing would happen. And then the next step, we would take a rope and throw it into the pit. And maybe one of the 10 would walk, climb out, but usually nothing would happen. And what they shared at this retreat was, we have to be, show more empathy and we have to get into the pit with the person because the person, sometimes they don't even know they're in a pit, for one. And then they don't even know what the rope is for. So you have to get in the pit to really understand what they're going through. Then you can lead and direct and guide them to the rope to get out. So that analogy really opened it up uh, a lot for me. So being 100% candid, I was kind of dreading preaching this sermon because of that, because of the mindset that I've had in the past. But as I thought back, I thought about my own emotions that I've had in the past. And I've been angry. I've been very depressed. I remember when my father passed uh, over a decade ago, and there was a period of about a year where I bottled it up. I never really grieved because I felt like I had to be strong for my mother, for my sons, for my wife. And I bottled all that up. And no one had an idea of what was going on inside of me. And when they looked at me, they were like, oh, he's a strong one. They didn't know I was a hot mess inside. I've often wondered, what does anxiety feel like? What does anxiety feel like? So when I hear people talk about being anxious, I finally figured it out, what it feels like. Here's a picture of my son, and he was in Afghanistan for about 18 months 
uh, at what they call a fob, a forward operating base, and he was in a very, very dangerous part. And I remember in one calendar year, I received three phone calls because I was next of kin. And he had three traumatic brain injuries in one year. And as I thought back to that and the feelings that I would get every time I had a phone call, my heart would race, my hands would get sweaty, and I would automatically jump to the end where it's, is this the call where my son isn't around anymore? And I never even acknowledged the fact that I felt anxiety until I looked back. So when we look at us, a lot of us think this way, and there's a piece of pottery back here. A lot of us think that we're messed up because we're broken. If we're not like this piece of pottery right here, we're incomplete, we're broken, we're not good enough. But the truth of the matter is this. All of us are like this piece of pottery. We come into the world like this because the sin of Adam made us this way before we came in. See, the sin of Adam not only broke us, but it broke everything. It put the whole world into chaos. And the scripture up here is Romans 5.19, and it says, For as by one man's obedience many were made sinner, sinners, uh, many were made sinners, See, life has a way of breaking us down. Every failure, every regret, every time you're hurt, every time you hurt somebody, each and every one of those things just breaks us down further and further and further. I've had moments in my life, just like many in this room, where I felt like I just couldn't go on. And it felt like life wasn't worth it. I think most of us can relate to that. Today, I'm going to speak to you as a husband. I'm going to speak to you as a dad, a friend, a pastor, a brother, a son, on how we can do better and take personal responsibility for our mental health. But the first thing we need to do is we need to find what is personal responsibility. I think most of us, if we take a look at our actions and our words, we, most of us usually take responsibility for what we do and say. Or at least most healthy adults take responsibility for what they do and say. But how about when things happen to you that weren't your fault? Doesn't it get hard then? How about when things happen to you when you were a child and you couldn't defend yourself? What do you do then? It's when these things happen that we have to be responsible and what personal responsibility looks like is, how do we respond? Do we does our identity shift to our trauma? Or do we take personal responsibility and change things? You see, God has given us, each and every one of us, a choice. We play a part in our redemption and in coming back to a place of wholeness. The more we blame others, the less responsibility we take on to ourselves. I love this chart here because what it shows is this. It shows that 55% of how effective therapy is is completely dependent on the client, on the person receiving the therapy. Another 30% is based on the relationship. And only 15% is based on the therapist's skill and technique. 
So you know what this tells me? Who's responsible for your mental health? You are. Each and every one of us is responsible for our mental health. And this also tells me another thing. There are some of us that are dealing with people that have like significant issues, that have acknowledged their issue, or they don't want to take good godly counsel. And we keep on trying and trying and trying, thinking doing more talking is going to help. You know what we need to do? Leave it alone. Leave it alone. You're wasting your breath. You're wasting your breath. A fool does not listen to many words. I'm just saying, you're wasting your time. So free yourself of that. People that were healed in the Bible all had a desire to be healed. They all moved to a place to be healed. And how does that happen? We all have to understand the power that we have. And that is the power of choice. The power of choice. Uh, I'm gonna, Ben, come on up here. Here goes a picture of Ben Smith here. This is the bigger version of Ben Smith. And Ben was in a, is in the men's group, and we did a health uh, symposium, and he came up to me afterwards, and he was like, man, I'm tired of feeling this way, and I'm tired of looking this way. Tell me what to do. He made a choice. He made a choice. And tell, him, tell the people what the outcome of that choice was, Ben. Good morning, everybody. Um, since I made the choice back in April, in that picture I was 300 pounds. I'm down below 220 now. Uh, I, uh, I was kind of caving in on myself a little bit. I uh, let my beard grow real long, my hair. <laughs> Thanks to Kim Music. I, mean, I apologize, I didn't put no gel in my hair this morning. <laughs> um, but I was competing with a Unabomber was the look I was going for. <laughs> Um, so, but it helped. I was, I decided the biggest part was they wanted to increase medication that they wanted to give me and I didn't want to take no more. Um, since I've lost the weight, I've, I no longer take blood pressure pills, pain medication, anti-inflammatory. Um, my legs used to go numb all the time, used to be in pain, get fatigued when I'd walk and that's all disappeared. I do have vascular disease in my legs, and that's caused from other things, but with being 48, I feel better than I was in my late 20s. Yes. So, I mean, it's just improved everything, myself, you know, my self-esteem, the way I look, approach everything. Back then, you'd have to pull me up here kicking and screaming and have a chain <laughs> tied to me to pull, and probably a truck out the door just yeah. to get me up here, because I was like, no, nah, I don't want to talk to nobody. I was just like, Okay, I'll do what I need to do, you know. And now, this way I can help other people, you know. Yes, praise God. And, and the biggest thing I encourage is if you're going to do, first off, give God all the glory. Yes. You know, um, if you're going to start to self-improve, make choices for it. Do it for yourself. Don't do it because somebody else is wanting you to or you want to impress somebody. Because once that person's happy, you're going to quit. You know, so... Just keep it on and have a good team with you. Family members, friends, yes. you know. And remember that with your kids, too. Encourage them. Yeah. Don't push, because the more you push, they're going to push back. And it's the same thing for all of us as adults. We're even worse with it than our kids are. <laughs> you know, we, we get that bullheaded stubbornness. So 
encourage more instead of trying to push or mm -hmm. trying to go after somebody. That's good. Man. You can you can really get them to work yeah. with you. So I hope my stories helped somebody yeah. today, and love y'all. So the reason the reason I've got Ben up here is because this is a tangible physical representation of what's happening inside of a lot of us, because a lot of us have weights and burdens that we're not willing to shed, that we're holding on to them. And what Ben did was Ben exercised his power of choice. Thank you, Ben. He exercised his take it away. He exercised his power of choice. He said, I'm going this direction. He changed his mind and he executed. And that's the power each and every person has in this room. I mean, if he would have told me he was going to lose 80 pounds in five months, five months ago, I probably would have said, no, nah, you ain't. No, nah, you ain't. But his power of choice was what allowed him to start in that direction. And that power of choice is very biblical. Deuteronomy 30:19 says this. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you, you and your descendants might live. We all have the choice between life and death. John Maxwell says it this way. Life is a matter of choices, and every choice, and every choice makes you. Let me say that one more time. Life is a matter of choices, and every choice makes you. Our mental health and mental well-being, in large part, going to be determined by the choices we make. Are we doing those things that put us in a worse place or a better place? So we're going to give you a game plan today. An offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, and some steps that we all can take to, to be more mentally healthy. But the first thing we have to do is understand what does a win look like? Because if you don't know what the objective of the game is, it's kind of hard to play. So in this game, a win looks like becoming, living a life that is pleasing and acceptable to the Father in heaven and becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus was tempted in every single way we were tempted, every way. Jesus felt the whole range of human emotions. And sometimes when we look at him, we say, okay, he's 100% God and 100% human, but the 100% God made it easier to deal with 100% human. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think the scripture plays that out. But even though he felt the whole range of human emotions from anger to sadness to anxiety to fear, he never once sinned. There is nothing wrong with emotion. It's what you do with it. Also, Jesus was emotionally discomfortable. Emotional discomfort is not mental illness. Emotional discomfort is a part of the human experience. When my father passed, I was sad for a good six months to a year. Did that mean I was clinically depressed? Maybe, maybe not. But it was a normal emotion to have with the passing of someone that you love. Emotional discomfort is part of the human experience. And oftentimes in the emotional discomfort is where you will grow. It's where your relationship with the living God will grow. So let's go on to the game plan. 
So we're going to start with the defensive side of the ball first. And up here, you see the best defensive player in the NFL. If you don't know who he is, it's Micah Parsons. So, and they're playing the Philadelphia Eagles today, so you guys uh, pray for him because uh, it should be a good game. So <laughs> are you, he's an Eagles fan. So um, defense is reacting and resisting to the enemy. And who's the enemy? Satan, right? The world and the, our sin and flesh. So it's reacting and resisting to that. And the first play in the playbook for reacting, resisting against the enemy is to get professional help. I'm not going to spend too much time here because Kim Treese did an amazing job last week. And I just want to celebrate one of the outcomes from last week. Because of that talk, 25 women called her office to get help. And I think that's something that needs to be celebrated. 25 people said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not going to continue doing the same things that I've been doing. Let me try something different. And that's something to be celebrated. So get professional help. So when should you get professional help? Now, I'm going to go into this on the offensive side too. But as far as defensive side, you get professional help when the problem's acute or chronic. And what do I mean by acute? If you're functionally impaired. If there's a part of your life or your whole life that you can't operate in because you're messed up, okay? That's what it means to be acute. Chronic is when you are suffering from something for a prolonged period of time and longer than you should be. So if you've been depressed for two years, you need to go get some help, okay? So that's when it's absolutely necessary to go get professional help, when it's acute or chronic. The second play in the playbook is this to guard your thoughts and inputs. And they're really tied together because your inputs control your thoughts. Romans 12.2 says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world. As PJ often says, as Pastor John often says, we are being discipled by something we just need to understand what we're being discipled by. Because you could be, uh, the culture could disciple you, media, social media, all those things can disciple you, and then you're a wreck and you don't know why. Social media itself, I mean, the stats on that with mental health are obscene. So people that overuse social media are more likely to be depressed, anxious, and other mental issues than people that don't. Also, those people that overuse social media have a lower overall quality of life, the way they view their life. And a lot of it's the comparison game. So I would just really strongly encourage you guys to monitor your inputs. William Blake says, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. The more you look at something, the more that gets ingrained into who you are. The more you look at something, the more you get, it gets ingrained into who you are. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. I remember with my sons when they were young teens and teenagers, they would listen to rap. And I'm not talking about clean rap either, but dirty rap. I mean, because there's some good stuff out there now. Um, but I would, I would tell them, and I, if anybody knows what the kids say, Finish this up for me. I'm not listening to the lyrics. I'm listening to the, yes. That's what they would always say. I'm not listening to it. I'm not listening to it. But I, I, I work out, and I, I really get, I enjoy working out. I've been working out for 20-some years. And I'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 
And because I was waking up at five o'clock in the morning, I'd need something a little bit more driving to really push me. And I'd listen to DMX, Tupac, and some other stuff. And I'm going to tell you, I was really convicted. I was convicted because I realized how it was changing the way I think. It was changing how I talked to people and saw people, and it changed my actions. Even though I didn't think I was really paying attention to the lyrics, that was getting inside of me, and it was manifesting in, in, in my behavior and my mindset. And that's how I know that's a lie from the pit of hell that even if you're not listening to the lyrics, you are listening to the lyrics. Because there's more than the conscious mind, there's the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is getting it. Okay? So defensive action number three. Play three on the defensive side of the ball. Boundaries. If you've got something that's taken your peace, a person, a situation, or place, Stay away from it. Stay away from it. It's real simple. But I also caution you. Don't let, not, don't let having a difficult conversation that needs to be had make you put a boundary in place. Don't let a difficult conversation that needs to be had make you put a boundary in place. Now we've done the defensive side of the ball. Now we're going to go to the fun stuff, offense. So the first step for the offense is this. Talk to someone. Talk to someone. You don't have to be in a crisis situation to go to therapy. It could be preventive maintenance. You may just need someone to process things with. There is no shame in going to therapy. But if you've got a good friend, someone that has your best interests in mind, that will keep confidence that's empathic, that's a good choice too. But what I think I see so often now is that most people don't have that friend. We have a tremendous breadth of relationships, but when we start looking at depth, it's really struggling. And people have a hard time being vulnerable and transparent with anyone because they're not even comfortable with themselves. They're not even comfortable with themselves. So I think it's really important for us to change that paradigm and really be the friend that we want. Of, that we want. Be the person that's going to be empathic when someone's talking to us. Sit down, take your time, have the conversation. And the older we get, the harder it is. The older we get, the harder it is. Because life's demands start. Kids, jobs, bills. And we can go down the list and all that stuff becomes so important that you kind of almost like fortress yourself in and you're not making yourself making time to have those relationships. And that's why, I mean, I, my hat's off to young adults because that's one of the things that they've done real well that I've seen in their groups is they take the time for relationships. They take the time to really get to know each other. And I think as an older person, not old, but older, <laughs> there's something that we as older people can learn from younger people and how they navigate life with relationships. So Ecclesiastes 4.12, and there's a, here goes a picture. And they're, they're not here at this service. They were at the first service. And this is Ross and Sabrina Brown. And this verse was used at their wedding two weeks ago. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So what people don't understand about this picture is this. 
a calendar year before this picture, Sabrina and Ross were about to call everything off. Everything. They they had a multi-year engagement, too. I got a text from Sabrina saying, I'm done. It's over. I'm sick of it. I can't do this. And I reached out to Ross, and we met the next day. And uh, we had a, a good, candid conversation, and he was very transparent. But the one thing, a couple of things really stood out. When I looked at him, he looked sick. I mean, literally sick. And I'm not talking about a sick, like physically, but spiritually and mentally, he looked completely defeated. And the one thing he kept on saying over and over again was, I can't lose her. Carrie, I can't lose her. I can't lose her. And then I asked what was going on, and, uh, and I've already cleared it with them to say all this. Uh, Ross, is, Ross is an alcoholic. And every time they would have a conflict, it was when he was drinking. Okay? So it's kind of crazy because one of the things they tell you, if you're a pastor or a therapist, whatever you do, if you're dealing with people that are going through pain is, don't be shocked. Don't let them see you get shocked. But when he told me how much he drank on a Saturday, I was shocked. I mean, 30 beers. I can't drink that much water in a day. And I was shocked, and it was like, wow. So we talked and talked, and, um, you know, he made the decision. He made a choice. He chose Sabrina over the beer. I told him, Don't, you can't drink. You're not able to drink. You're an alcoholic. You have to know what you can do in moderation and what you can't do in moderation. And he can't drink in moderation. So he stopped drinking, and he's been clean for a year. Yes. And even more amazing than that, as I told him, I said, text everyone in your circle and tell them you're an alcoholic and you're not drinking anymore. And he did it. And since that day, they've been golden. But that is the power of choice, and it's also the power of a conversation. It is the power of a conversation. Never did I think once, even though I was hopeful, but I didn't, I wasn't betting on it, that they would be, I'd be marrying them a year from that day. I didn't know that. But the power of a conversation, we never know how our words are going to hit and impact someone's life. And we've always got to find those opportunities, especially if we call ourselves Christ followers, to be encouraging and to lift someone up and to push them forward. So talk to someone. The second thing we can do is this. Control your thought life. Control your thought life. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive to obey Christ. So what we got to do is we've got to look at all that stuff that's coming from our flesh and our sinful nature all the stuff that's coming from culture and all the stuff that's coming from the enemy. And we've got to reject that. But it doesn't do anything good to reject it if we don't have anything to reject and fight it with. Okay? So you've got to have God's word inside of you. PJ, uh, in the first service, talked about preaching a sermon to yourself. And that's what we got to do sometimes. we got to preach a sermon to ourselves, especially when we don't feel like it. So... <clears throat> First John, and, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I struggle with is condemnation. Anybody got uh, some bad history in here? Am I the only one? Raise your hand if you got bad history. Okay, that's more people than not. Okay, so one of the things I struggle with is guilt. Things that I've done in the past. 
And how we combat that is, is we combat that with the word of God. And this verse has helped me out so much. And it's 1 John 3.20. It reads, Even if we feel guilty, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. And I think there's other people in here that need to see that verse because that is so true. Our feelings will lie to us. Our feelings will tell us we aren't good enough. Our feelings will tell us we're not whole enough. Our feelings will lie that we don't belong. That's what our feelings will tell us. And we've got to combat it by the word of God. We also have to saturate our minds with the things of God. And uh, Philippians 4.8 says this. <clears throat> and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Imagine how different your mindset would be if you woke up every morning and said, I'm going to do this. Imagine how different your mindset would be. How different would your mood be if you were focusing on the right things? Now we're going to get a play three on the offensive side of the ball. And that is, and this is a dirty word for some of you guys, discipline. Discipline. Am I talking about that discipline like, you know, getting 10 lashes from your dad? Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about that discipline at all. I'm talking about the discipline that is an orderly or prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior, self-control, training that corrects molds or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. That's the discipline I'm talking about. Discipline is the best medicine to avoid physical, mental, and spiritual barriers. There's a lot of us, including myself, that need more discipline in our lives. Kim Priest alluded to this, well, she talked about this last week, we are more than just a spirit. We are also a body. So there's physical disciplines, and then there's spiritual disciplines. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, physical training is good. Physical training is good. It doesn't say physical training is no good. It says physical training is good. So we're going to just talk about a couple of elements for physical training really, really quick. The first is sleep. Get your sleep. A lot of folks, uh, in, in, in the therapy world, it was often thought that depression led to insomnia. But what they're feeling, finding out now is oftentimes when you don't get enough sleep, you get depressed. So it's not a linear arrangement like you, most of us would think. Sometimes it's very, very circular. Sometimes it's very circular. I used to only sleep five or six hours a day. And I thought I was good until I started sleeping seven hours a night. For real, because I didn't know what it felt like to get enough sleep. And a lot of us in this room are exactly like that. You're burning the candle at both ends, and you think you don't need to sleep, and you think you're okay because you've been doing it so long, it's become your normal. You've been doing it so long, it's become your normal. Get your sleep. Do the research. Be a learner. Find, about, find out about sleep hygiene and the things that you can do to put yourself to sleep and stay, stay asleep. The second thing is nutrition. You are what you eat. That's what they say. I love this uh, old Chinese proverb. Those who take medicine and neglect their diet waste the skill of the physician. 
And that is so true. Because a lot of times, I'm going to tell you, I've, I've got, I know plenty of doctors, and a lot of times, they'll go right back past the nutrition part when someone's ha- dealing with high blood pressure or high cholesterol. And I'm not, I'm not speaking out against medicine. I just want you all to know that. But a lot of times, they go right past the nutrition part because they know most people will do the easiest thing they can do. Because it's more effective to give them a pill because most people aren't going to do the nutrition piece. So do what you have to with your nutrition, which is get out all the junk, all the sugar, all the very, very processed foods. And I'm not saying being extremist, but the average American, average American's diet is about 60 to 70% processed food. That's not good. Go to Whole Foods as much as you can. Lean meats, fruits, veggies, nuts, seeds, those type of things. And sugar, ooh, sugar's terrible. There has been link after link of, of linking things uh, where sugar intake is directly related to many mental disorders. So parents, I would encourage you guys, be learners, research, study. I don't have enough time to go through it all today, but it's out there, all the information you need. Exercise, exercise. And exercise doesn't mean you go to the gym and you're working out for two hours a day. It could be taking a 30-minute walk three times a week. You start with where you are. But the beautiful thing about exercise is a couple of things. After you've been doing it for a while, it makes you feel so good. And you miss exercising. And the other thing is, all these disciplines have a way of like feeding into other disciplines. So when you get the discipline of working out, exercising, then it has a trickling effect into other things. I've known PJ for eight, eight plus years, and I remember <laughs> the PJ before working out and after working out, and it's a very different person because when he started working out, that discipline played out in other areas of his life. And also the same with Pastor Dwayne. When he started exercising, it played out in other areas of, of his life. So sleep, nutrition, and di- uh, exercise. So 1 Timothy 4.8, the rest of the verse says this. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Training for godliness, spiritual disciplines. So there are many spiritual disciplines. And what is, well, better yet, what is a spiritual discipline? A spiritual discipline are those practices things that you do, found in Scripture, that promote spiritual growth and allow you to become more and more like Jesus. Romans 12, 2 says this, and we read the first part earlier, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So what are these spiritual disciplines? There's many of them, but I'm going to go over four of them. And we've talked about preaching to yourself and using preaching when you're having bad thoughts and negative thinking. The first one is reading, studying, meditating, and memorizing God's word. So Ephesians 6.17, they talk about the whole armor of God. How many offensive weapons are in Ephesians 6.17? One. And what is that? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A lot of you, and myself included in the past, 
I'm getting beat up and I've got this defensive equipment on, right? And I'm getting beat up and I'm taking blow after blow, but I'm not fighting back because I haven't taken the time to learn the word of God and to put the word of God in me. So I can't fight. All I'm doing is taking body blow after body blow. So the word of God. Second and, second and third are prayer and worship. And both of these are the things that allow you to get into the presence of God. And he's always here, but what they do is they make us more receptive to the presence of God. And really encourage you guys, you know, prayer and worship should not be something you just do on a Sunday. It should be something that you do every day. You know, the Bible is very clear. It says, pray without ceasing. Make it a part of your life. And lastly, the lastly, it's going to be, um, where am I? Fellowship. Fellowship. So many of us, when we're really struggling, what do we do? We isolate. And as a pastor, as a dad, when you know someone that's very active isolates, or when one of my sons starts isolating, it's very, very, very evident that there's something going on in their life. Because that's what we normally do because we're getting into this place where we think we're protecting ourselves and we're probably full of shame for some reason, one reason or the other. So fellowship is critically important. There's four levels of fellowship. The first is sharing. That's just doing life with one another and studying, studying. Ooh. Okay, it's right up there. It was wrong on the teleprompter. I was like, wow. Okay, so sharing and studying. And a good way to get into this is by joining a life group. Joining a life group so you can be known and know others. Because there's many of us that come in here every Sunday and then we don't feel connected. And the reason we don't feel connected is because we haven't made it a priority to get into life with other people. So sharing and studying. And the third thing is serving, being missional together. And you can do that by doing one of our outreaches. You can do that by joining the worship team. If you've got the gift of music or, or voice, joining the hospitality team if you can smile and hug people. If you love kids, you can work in family life. So there's ways for you to get inserted to serve together. And then the last level of fellowship is suffering. And I think we don't even need to explain what that is. The problem in church sometimes is people don't want to get into fellowship until this stage. And then they look around and there's no one there. It's because they didn't take the time to develop the relationships and the relational capital needed for that level. So I would just encourage everyone to get into fellowship, start at the top and work down, get in a life group, start serving, because we all will be at the place where we're going to have the, the suffering come. It's just like the storm. It's not a matter of if the storm comes, it's a matter of when the storm comes. It's a matter of when the storm comes. Jesus, who was 100% God, even needed community. He had the 12. And then he had another group, the three, that were really near and dear to him. He needed community. 
And God is humble enough to allow us to need other people. God isn't up there saying, you just need to depend and love me only. I mean, the greatest command is what? The two, to love God with all your heart, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as you do yourself, okay? So Jesus, in Matthew 26, 37 and 38, and this is a great, great verse on how he needed people, but it also shows that Jesus felt the whole range of human emotion. In Matthew 26, 37 and 38, it says, <clears throat> He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That doesn't sound like someone that's not suffering. I don't know. Have you guys ever been to this place, to this point? I'm, I don't think I've ever been to the place where Jesus is there. And, you know, if we look at God being 100% divine and 100% human, I would venture to say it was probably harder for him than it would be for us because he's omniscient, so he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew the pain of the cross. All that I could ever do is guess what that pain is. All I could ever do is guess what that pain is. And he knew it, and he still went through with it anyway. Jarvis, you want to come up? See, Jesus was afraid, and he was anxious. We often overlook the humanness of our Savior. One of the most important things we can do regarding our mental health is not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on our source. Because when we rely on ourselves, we will fail. We really do live in an age of self-help, self-actualization, and all those things. And there, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But we have to be tied to the source, which is Jesus. We have to be careful with our feelings. We have to be careful with our thoughts. Feelings and thoughts are great servants but they're terrible masters. It's often said that of feelings only, but it even of thoughts. As many of us have had our mind racing and racing away from us, and our thoughts just go one after the other after the other. And feelings and thoughts are a lot more integrated than you would ever think. But what we need to be led by is something different. Not by our feelings or thoughts, but we need to be like Jesus, who is led by the Spirit of God. So I just want to challenge each of you that's struggling today because we're all struggling with something, each and every one of us. If you put your trust in yourself, you will sabotage yourself. But if you put your trust in the source, if you put your trust in God, he will keep you in perfect comfort and perfect peace. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't mean your circumstances are always going to be the best circumstances. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer, because we're going to suffer. But he will keep us. He will keep us. Psalms 4, 8, 4 through 6. This is our identity, fellas. This is our identity right here. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet 
You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. How many, how many of you see yourself in this verse? How many of you see yourself in this verse? The word of God is talking about you. This is you. If you are a follower of Jesus, he is talking about you. But we let our experiences, we let our past, we let our flesh, we let what other folks say about us in our culture tell us that we're not deserving. I know I have. I know I have. We're going to do a drill right here. Everyone just stand up. read this verse together. And I want you to put your name into each blank. Because this is who you are. If you are a follower of Christ, this verse is about you. So we're going to read it together and I'm going to uh, I'm going to say my name, but you guys say your name in the blanks, okay? Alright, so let's read. What is Carrie that you are mindful of him and Carrie that you care for him? Yet you have made Carrie a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Carrie with glory and honor. You have given Carrie dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under Carrie's feet. This time say it, but proclaim it. Because this is your identity. This is who you are. No matter what your circumstances are, this is how God sees you if you are a follower of Christ. So let's do this one more time, but this time proclaim it. What is Carrie? That you are mindful of him and Carrie that you care for him. Yet you have made Carrie a little lower than the heavenly beings. Yes. All things, y'all can go ahead and sit down. All things are under your feet in Christ Jesus. All things. Your depression is under your feet. Your anxiety is under your feet. Those past traumas are under your feet. It doesn't mean they don't have to be dealt with, because they do need to be dealt with, but they are under your feet. This is a very cliche saying, let go and let God. But the Bible says it this way. Rest the worship team. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So if we want to take this messed up, broken life that we have and find true joy, peace, comfort, we've got to get to a place where we really say Romans 5.19 to ourselves. Because one person disobeyed God, because Adam disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because of one other person obeyed God, which is Jesus, many will be made righteous. Jesus will take all those broken pieces and he'll put them back together again. This is an art form called kintsugu that's in, from Japan. And what they do is they take broken pottery and they put it back together with gold flakes. And you know what? It's actually more beautiful than the original. 
it's a beautiful mess. It's a beautiful mess. It's all put back together. And that's what we are offered through Christ Jesus. So if your life is a mess right now, if you're hurting and you don't know what to do, and you feel like that broken piece of pottery, you're saying, Carrie, that is not the way I feel at all. I'm still broken up. We're going to have prayer partners down here, if they can come down, um, that are willing to pray with you guys. They want to pray for you. They've been praying through the week. Come down and see them. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, come down and see one of them. If you've walked away, let's say you had a relationship years ago and you've kind of turned your back and you need to rededicate your life, come down and see one of the prayer partners. Part of doing this series on let's talk about our mental health is being a church that's okay with not being okay. We have to be okay with not being okay. There's no reason for anyone here to put up a front that they're good when they're not good. And that's what we want to be as a church. We want to we have that culture as a church where if someone's not okay, they'll say it. So they're going to go ahead and play Reckless Love again and just really let the word saturate you because... We have a Father in heaven that loved us so much that he gave his only son to die in place of us. Mental health is an important thing. Therapy is an important thing. And it's definitely a both end. I had a gentleman at the earlier service. I prayed for him and then I told him, you need to go see a therapist. And that's okay. But the one thing is this, the only thing that will heal you and make you whole and make you incomplete is Jesus Christ. So if you have not made a decision for Jesus, make that decision. If you've been living far from him and you've been faking it, make that decision. If you're sitting next to someone that is hurting, that's afraid to come on their own, be God and skin to that person. Hold their hand and walk down with them. God wants us to move, church. God wants us to move. So we're going to do something a little different this week. I'm not going to do a corporate altar call. I mean, salvation prayer. If you want to have a new life in Christ, come forward and see one of our prayer partners here. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.